what you hear is the Dead Sea. I'm sitting here right next to the water. It's my birthday. The Dead Sea is an hour from my house. So we come here sometimes on special occasions. Morning drive, find an empty beach, have breakfast, go in the water, get all, you know, wet, but it's, you know, like kind of weird water. And then shower off and then sit in the sun and go home. We're lucky we don't have to get a hotel or anything. I'm talking to you off my morning walk. I'm at that wedding hall I told you about. The dogs went into the the whole field here. Um, I am planning a visit to the United States for January 16th through February 4th, which is a long time. And now that I'm saying those dates aloud, I'm thinking maybe I am making a mistake to be away for three whole weeks. Um, but one week I will be with my mom. And so I, I figure that doesn't really count as work for Israel. It doesn't because I'll be with her, but it's private time. And um, then the other two weeks, one week I'll be in New Jersey, New York. That's um, the January 22nd to the 28th. And then from the 28th to February 4th, I'll be in Florida. So if any of you listening want to meet with me or have me speak to your friends, your community, your synagogue, your church, please contact me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. And I will do my best to do that, to come and see you. Because my purpose is telling everyone what's going on. It's a war update. Telling them what life is really like here. And um, giving them a kind of behind-the-scenes look. uh, A real talk of what's going on here and what it's like here. Which is really what I do anyway. Um, I haven't been able to leave. As you know, my son is in the army. My other son just got out. He'll go, go back in and I really uncomfortable leaving. But my director for Hatzalah Without Borders tells me that this war will go on for a year. And he said, Natalie, you have to fly. You have to go and talk to people and meet our supporters. And um, it's with a very, very heavy heart <laughs> that I am going to be leaving I don't want to leave, you know, I didn't, I don't even think I told my son. He, he got out for 48 hours. Um, I may have told him. We have no communication. He's without his phone in Gaza. And, you know, I'll just pray. And I hope all of you also, please keep praying. The prayers are working. He was home last Shabbat. It was amazing. It was great. He looked great. He was healthy. He, I'm not going to say he was happy. He needed some time. He would leave the house and go for a walk. Um, and he cannot tell us, and he could not tell us too much, but it's really hard. Um, the soldier who died in Susia, he, he's, he knows him, of course. Um, the, the first one I'm talking about, Ayah Berkovich, his brother is, was his madrich in Bnei Kiva. We know the family. And then, you know, two more soldiers have fallen in Susia since Hanukkah, one just a few days ago. Ma'olavi, who is the Rakhazet Noar, that's the head of the youth group here, lives behind us. Um, young family, four little girls, 
and uh, three buses of teens went to that funeral. My my youngest knows him, is part of the teen group. Very, very, very sad. You know, you, you go to reserves the, called Milawim here. This is what's so strange. All my friends, all my Israeli friends have husbands who go off one week, a year, one month a year, excuse me, one month a year to Milawim. And they both love it, okay? The husbands love it because they get to basically go be with their old buddies and, and play a cowboy for a month and they feel young. And the wives love it because the husband's out of their face for a month. And so they get to be the boss. So it, it, does, it is pretty funny. They both act like it's hard. Oh, my husband's a Milloween. They act like it's hard, but you know it's not. It's, they kind of, you know, it's like a, like a little vacation from real life, a little, a little vacation from the marriage, from the work of marriage and married life, right? Um, so they do this from their 20s. As soon as they're done the army, the next year they go into Milloween. They do this until they're, I think, the cutoff age is something like 47. And these are just parts of Israeli life, this, this uh, Milouim, reserve duty. I don't think any reservist expects to be in a war and expects to never come back. So it's very, very sad to see these young fathers go. And you see some of the ages, they're in the 30s, some of them are in their 40s. These are dads. These are people with a whole life. They're not supposed to be soldiers. None of our boys are really supposed to be soldiers. They're not really built to be soldiers. But for that two-year, eight-month stint, okay, they're in the army. That's what they do. They're soldiers. They take that risk. They take that upon themselves, and we and we know, even though we never really expect them either to, to be hurt or die. Which, you know, they, get, they go to the army. They come home for Shabbat every other week, every three weeks. And, um, and they complain, and they sleep, and they eat all our food. But wow, it's just it's just so um, jarring to to see this happening around you. Three soldiers so far in Susia, three, and and two of them are fathers with children and families that we know. It's so it's so awful. It's so awful. We're very you know we're a pretty small community. It's um, it's heavy. It's 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 really. I, I was not ready for that. And it'll be hard to be away. And um, that's one of the reasons, of course, I didn't want to go all this time. And I will make it as productive a trip as I can. And I'm asking you all for your help. If you want to meet with me, if you know anyone else who's interested in Israel and interested in what's going on, loves Israel, please reach out, natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. I will uh, get to you. I will. It's very important that I meet new people and explain the situation. I have actually one synagogue who uh, said to me, we understand you work with Arabs, so we don't want you to come. Can you tell me if that's right? And I started explaining to him, and I'll explain to them again. I said, first of all, please, you know, we just, just know in Judea and Samaria, Arabs live here, okay? They live here. They're, they're part of the landscape here. They're part of our life here. Um, and we don't uh, give money to them. My organization, Hatzalah Without Borders, does not give money or equipment to them. There is another organization called SSF, that's French. They um, give money to them. So some of these Arab rescuers that are in our videos, and we even have a video of one doctor, we work with them, we train with them sometimes. And yeah, we do meet in the field, we communicate. But we don't donate to them, okay? We, our American donors for Hatzalah Yudav Shamron 
all that goes right to Israel, only to Israel, only to Jews. So I clear that up for him. But I was going to go on and say, you know, part of the problem here is that the Arabs do live here. Call them Palestinians, call them Arabs, call them whatever you want. They live here and we have to deal with them. And they're part of our life. They're in the supermarket, they're on the buses, they're in the hospitals. They're here. And if you don't realize that, and if you don't accept that, well, good for you. You live in Boca or wherever. But if you live here, you have to come face to face with that reality. And if you come and live in a yeshuv like Susia, Ma'on, anywhere, Carmel, even Efrat, Maleodumim, the big ones, people, people have Arab workers. Who do you think is loading the trucks? Who do you think is taking the trash? These are Arab workers. Um, I talked to a friend of mine from Efrat, and he said there are no Arab workers now, only the trash people are allowed in, and they have guards with them. I find that hard to believe because I read a recent statistic that said 8,000 Arab Palestinian workers have been let into Judea and Samaria during the past uh, few weeks during this war under the radar for non-essential work. Non-essential meaning probably working in the stores, um, working in the grocery stores. Any of you listening and any of you who have been to Gush Etzion, to um, Somet, Gush Etzion, the mall, the Rami Levy there, Who's working? All the cashiers are Arab. All the loaders in the back are Arab. It's an all-Arab situation there, where Ari Fould was killed, Arab guy there, probably an Arab worker. So you're, you're wrong, and you need to know that Israel is full of Arabs. There are two million of them, and the Jews have to know that and work with them. Now, do you have to invite them to build your house? Of course not. Do you have to invite them to be your gardener? Of course not. And we choose not to, me, Natalie. But there are many, many others who choose to use Arab labor for expanding their house, for being their gardener, for, um, really that's pretty much it, building, for building. And, um, you know, windows and things like, you know, they need in their house. And I think maybe there are some Arab gardeners. Um, but they're also the bus drivers. If you go on an Egged bus, Another there's another bus line, um, super bus or something like that, Metropol line I think is another. A lot of these drivers are Arabs. Uh, the pharmacies are Arabs. They have Arab pharmacists, a lot of them. In the hospitals, the some of the workers are Arabs. Some of the nurses, some of the doctors, the cleaners are Arabs. Um, go to your hotels. All you who come to Israel and stay in fancy hotels, who do you think is cleaning those bathrooms? Who do you think is working? in those kitchens and cleaning the dishes and sometimes maybe even cooking the food. I hate to tell you if you're so anti-Arab, but they're Arabs. And um, this one person who, who made this fuss and won't let me come speak in their place in Florida is, is wrong. You know, he just, he doesn't know. And, it's, and I wish, and I wish that Israel was full of Jews and only Jews. I really do. Um, and who am I speaking to? People who are not. People who are not living in Israel. Six million Jews are in North America. And six million Jews are living in Israel. The person who complained about us working with Arabs lives in America. So he's looking at it, you know, from a very far distance. From a very, I don't want to say safe, but from a safe place. It's not as you think. We don't live with Arabs, meaning they don't live in my yeshuv, okay? But they're all around. And we interact 
the way I just explained. You can choose to, you can choose not to, but one day you're going to come up against them because they ride our buses, they ride our trains, they use our stores and our hospitals and our services. And um, we have not been successful in stopping them. Even though we outnumber them, the Jews all cling together. And there just aren't enough Jews living in Yudan Shamron. There are um, half a million of us here, 500,000 Jews, and there are about 2 million Arabs. It's a problem. The problem, and I, and I really want that to change. I hope it does. Okay. Hope everyone's doing well. I'm going to record this last section. It's now a week after I uh, first spoke to you. I wasn't able to really come up with anything to talk about and I'm just running out of time and a friend of mine an American friend of mine recently said something which is so accurate she said it seems like Israelis are just surviving at this point and don't even have the capacity to interact normally or connect normally and she emphasized that this upcoming trip I I'm going to be taking this tour. That's what I do, and that's what I I should be uh, aiming to to allow Americans to um, make a connection with me because they really do want to be involved. This dog follows me everywhere I go, and she says this dog the the, the people really want to help, and and I and I do want to tell all of you that there have been. Americans coming here, um, visiting army bases and visiting hospitals and helping the farmers and um, packing up food for the soldiers. And also um, a lot of Americans have donated equipment, helmets and vests, which were so strangely in short supply and very disappointing that that um, needed to be done. But it did get done. It's just amazing how the Jewish people from all corners of the earth really just like came together so quickly and in such full full spirit you know full heart full just giving 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 and it's so um heartwarming I guess I, I hear that term it really it's just accurate it's just wow you know we we are not alone here we're not alone and we feel alone we do so much when you not just see the news and see what people are saying and how they're you know siding with our enemies but how even like in the interviews they have with our political leaders are so n- nasty and, and they're so in disrespectful and no no um, normal or proper um, adult professional should speak to any other adult professional the way that they speak to Israelis on the news. It's it's the it's it's a few things. It's the tone and the familiar way they speak to our uh, representatives and I'm not just talking about um, like Bennett but sometimes you know um, different different people who, who speak we have a really good British I believe spokesperson for the IDF or no I think he's a spokesperson actually for the government his name is Elon Levy young guy he's very good um, he handles he handles the the uh, news people pretty well but it's the BBC it's it's the very the BBC is very aggressive and they're just constantly saying well do you enjoy bombing Hamas and do you enjoy killing millions of innocent civilians 
<laughs> it's just ridiculous the way they talk. They're just so um, they're they're so skewed in, in their view, and they just really just you know it's just Jew hatred. I, 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 there's no other way to say it. There's no nice way to paint it. I don't need to use some fancy words to cover up what it is. It's Jew hatred, and they have no other excuse for the way they're speaking to us. But it is terrible. And this war and this attack by Hamas on October 7th, if nothing else, brought out the Jew hatred around the world. And people now feel that it's acceptable to express their Jew hatred and to act on it, say things out loud. And um, you all saw the news with the three presidents of premier American universities, how they couldn't even explain or 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 say that it won't be tolerated they they couldn't say that because it is tolerated and they are you know one after the other is resigned they quit find these other reasons to leave it's so disgusting but it's so refreshing in a, in a way to see it and you know yes the world hates the jews much of the world hates the jews say it you know acknowledge it deal with it and, and live with it. And we have to live with it. Okay? We are not going to change the world. We are not going to change the way people think and have been taught to think. What we have to do is be strong and pray to Hashem, pray to our God, be strong Jews, learn about the Jewish faith, learn about the richness of our Torah and our laws, and keep them. Okay? And stop trying to be like all the other nations. We're not supposed to be like the other nations. They don't want us, and that is not what we're supposed to do. We were, you know, given the Torah and given rules and a way to live for, for a purpose, for a reason. And uh, I'm not some, you know, scholar at all. I'm not a Rebbitzin. But I know as soon as I changed my life and began to keep Shabbat and keep Kashrut, kosher, and um, leave work early on Friday, you know, to keep those special uh, times and lighting candles and, and, you know, keeping Shabbat the full way, which means, you know, no electricity, um, saying the prayers, turn your phone off, spend time learning, spend time with your family. And, you know, you kind of shut out the, the mundane parts of daily life you don't talk about work. You don't talk about money. Um, when when I started doing that, my life changed. And my life became richer. And I found my husband, okay? There's a lot of good in, in sticking to simplicity and following rules. I mean, what better rules do we have than in death, right? It's all laid out. It's all been studied. It's all been created and written for us. There are rules to follow. We don't have to reinvent these things. Same with the rest of our lives. Same with our daily lives. You know, the Torah is the blueprint for life. That attracted me when I heard that. That attracted me, and it, and it still holds true. It attracts me. It works. It works. We work so hard, okay, every day. Just every little thing. Negotiations with every little thing, with our children, with our spouses, with our work. We're, you know, getting through life, getting through the days is taxing, it's hard. Um, so Shabbat is like a, a reprieve. 
And maybe the world is jealous of the Jews because we have that. I don't know, but they do hate us. And they're not afraid to say so anymore. And um, in response, instead of trying to explain why they should love us and try to get them to understand um, us, I say, just hold your head up high. Learn as much as you can about the Jewish religion and move forward. You know, we have always extended our hands in peace. We do not um, seek um, war. We don't. We, we are not that kind of people. It's not in us. Okay? So if it's on other people and that's their big thing, it's like it's their problem. We just have to, you know, go forward in the best way we know how. You want to hear something funny? This is funny. I have this Italian TV station that called me last night. Some reporter got my name from someone at Regavim. Regavim uh, works with us. And um, they're, a, they're an organization. Some of you might know they are amazing. They kind of like uh, legal. And they are on the lookout for Israeli um, com- communities where there's Arab building, illegal building. And they go to court and they try to fight all these illegal structures. They're very, very good. And um, we do things together. And I was actually recently on a tour with them for foreign journalists. And we went to some specific places in my area in Har Hevron, and it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I have to tell you, um, right by me in, in the community Carmel, where I was this morning actually to go to the doctor for my daughter who has a rash. Carmel is a community just like Susia, smaller but nice people, Jewish community. And um, right behind them is an Arab bunch of people illegal Arab houses and I've heard about this and I've known about this because actually the race that we do every winter every Hanukkah is a 10k race and um, we have to start like at the one section of Carmel and you're not even allowed to run around Carmel because of all the Arab people there and they say it's dangerous and we have the army helping us and everything and guarding us and I, I just remember like there's an extra half kilometer and we have to like now run by Susia and like turn around past Susia and it's just ridiculous because we can't do that half kilometer around Carmel because of those Arab uh, families that have decided to put up their houses there. Anyway, they have a fence and those Arab families have gone right against that fence and it's not just a fence, it's an electronic gate. So when we went there with these journalists on this bus, it was just like going into a, a yeshuv. It was weird. You go through Carmel, the Jewish settlement, you know, where we go all the time, where we have friends and everything. And this gate opens up and all of a sudden you're like in an Arab place, Arab houses, illegal, because you see it's illegal. They explained to us it's illegal. There's no name for this place. And it's a brand new road, paved and they have electricity lines, illegal, water hoses, you see them kind of like strewn about, so they got they steal water, and they have paved this road, this illegal road, all the way down the desert, winding back and forth, and I, I think it, it gets you all the way to like Arad, and then you can take it up to Jerusalem, and it's a smuggling route, they explained to us, it was the scariest thing I ever saw. Why am I telling you this? This 
reporter called me last night and wants to interview me because they're going to interview some Arab in some town called Tawani this morning and they want the Jewish side as well. So they're going to try to interview me. I don't know if it's going to work out. They want to come like in the next hour. But it's just so um, creepy because when I was on this tour, these journalists just did not have any... Um, they didn't seem to care about Jews. And they were just like looking at these illegal Arab structures like it was a totally cool, normal thing. And um, these are terrorists, a lot of these places. They harbor terrorists. They're not terrorists, all of them, okay? But they harbor them, they hide them. This is where the terrorists run and hide after they attack a Jew. And these are like our neighbors. These people are living here right near us. And these journalists are just like, yeah, okay. I mean, we're giving them statistics. They just shrug their shoulders. They just blank face, like a total blank face. No shock, no horror, no sympathy. It was um, hard. So I don't really want to be interviewed again. And I don't want to go on TV saying anything. And I'm, I'm wondering if I should. All right, so luckily for me, it's not going to work out because I have to take my son to the orthodontist and it's kind of the same time that they want to come interview me and it's um, not going to work. So they're going to interview someone else from Harkavron and that's great. But um, I'm always kind of worried now about being interviewed because um, what if these uh, left-wing um, Arab sympathizers, you know, come and find me? I mean, it's very easy to find me. There's one Natalie, you know, in Susia, and um, there aren't many people who sound like me or look like me, and they could totally, like, show my picture, and people would maybe tell them where I live. They could probably lie. Who knows? Who knows? It gives me the creeps. It's scary, and I'm not going to do it. Um, when I was on that tour, by the way, every time I opened my mouth, a reporter would scribble down what I said. It was uh, kind of funny, but... Then I realized later, well, and they started asking me questions just they just kept going on as if everything I said was so exciting and so important. So that was a little creepy. But I want to share one thing with you before I go, because we are uh, running out of time and I have to get moving. I did mention earlier in the program, earlier in my recordings, that we are kind of on robot mode, meaning we're just kind of going day to day, getting our daily tasks done. And sometimes my days are really, really full and I just don't have a lot of time. Um, one thing that happened last week is I was invited by my organization to volunteer on the animal farm truck. I guess you call it a zoo therapy truck. What we've done is because our, our um, regular animal therapy farm has been um, what do I say, shut down. We have a horse therapy farm in one of the kibbutzim, kibbutz Urim, near the Gaza border. That entire kibbutz, just like many other of the communities in that area, have been evacuated. So that is where we have a horse therapy farm to help children suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Kids in that area, um, I think 1,800 children in that area, have been living with... Um, terror, you know, and a lot of missiles and a lot of rocket attacks. Years ago, uh, terrorists were discovered coming up into their own homes because the tunnels went underneath 
you probably remember that happening in 2000, um, I think that was like 2014-15. So in 2016, some uh, European donors helped us set up this farm to give the children in the area horse therapy, which is supposedly extremely effective in um, helping children with emotional problems, emotional stress caused from these kinds of trauma, you know, running to the shelter, you only have 15 seconds to get to a shelter. A lot of alarms go off there. These kids are just, you know, they're wetting their pants, they're afraid to be alone, they can't sleep, um, they regress, it's very, very sad. And um, the horse therapy helps them. They, 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 they use that, that horse uh, animal is some kind of uh, meteor, mediator between their stress and, and they can express themselves through, you know, holding the animal, petting the animal, riding the horse. Sometimes they tell the horse their secrets. It's so cute and it's very effective and very popular. And we got funding for 70 children um, and there are 70 more on a waiting list. And we've been running um, sessions, you know, twice a week in the afternoons. And this has been going on since 2016. Okay, a long time already. Now the horse farm has been closed. The entire kibbutz is empty. Some of our staff have been killed. Some of the students have been kidnapped. It's just awful, okay? And where are all these people now? They're all around the country. The people evacuated from these communities are in hotels. They're in um, people's homes. They're in uh, different, different places in um, Jerusalem. Some are in the Dead Sea. Some are in Tel Aviv. And some are in Eilat. And we created this project. It's a truck that we have fashioned on the inside with cabinets and games and fake grass and the walls painted with like rainbows. And there's a little separate room. And what we do is we bring animals on the truck in cages, um, like little little hamsters and rabbits. And that's one area for a group children to come and, and their toys and like little tables and chairs and coloring and puzzles. And the other section is a private therapist who comes with her dog and works with the children one-on-one. -on -one. Now, I think I told you that every week I've been going to a farm to pick fruit, but I, this last week I went to work on this truck. And let me tell you, it was not fun, to be honest with you. Um, I was, <laughs> I could not wait for the day to end. And I only was there for three hours from 10 to one, but it was hard. It was hard. These kids, look, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a kindergarten teacher, okay? And I'm not a big fan of uh, dealing with little kids. These kids are like the age of four or five, six. And their parents came and like sat there and the chairs just stood around. And the children, were, you know, we'd play with them and give them the animals to hold. Some were afraid, some were not afraid. There were boys, there were girls. But it was sad because of the circumstances, because... I also saw, I got there early and I saw like groups of children with an older woman holding their water bottles, walking in a big group, clinging to together, walking down to the beach. Now, they're not at home. And I'll tell you, at home in a kibbutz, kids do not walk in a big clump together with a leader. They're free. They're confident. It's their home. They walk free, just like they do here in Susia. And all of a sudden, they're like clustered together, you know. That I noticed. But on the truck itself, one of the kids climbed into the toy cabinet and closed the door and said, I want to be in the dark. That was sad. That was sad. Um, I don't know if it was 
you know, trauma or what, but, you know, that, that's not something normal to see. And um, it was hard, you know, keeping these kids busy, kids we don't know, kids who've been through some very um, horrible tragedy. I didn't ask, I didn't talk too much to them, just talked about the animals. Um, but they do have a coloring station there, and the, the, the girl who was working that station told us that these children are always using red and scribbling in red, which indicates, you know, violence and, and blood. I don't know if that's true, but that's what the psychology says. Um, it was hard, and um, it's a real big chesed, that project. It's from, uh, I believe, uh, European donors started that. And if any of you are interested in helping, you know, funds are needed to, to work that, to pay for the truck, the therapy, the therapists, the animal food, all that stuff. Um, you know, you can send in a donation. You can look on our website. It's hatzalah.org.il, H-A-T-Z-A-L-A-H.org.il. Um, you can contact me, Natalie, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And um, it was um, it was sad. It was sad. It's very hard work to work with children, and extremely taxing to uh, stay positive and and to keep uh, to keep uh, you know your um, what do you call it your balance. You know you you have kids saying shrugging their shoulders, don't want, don't want, don't want to do this, um, which kids do anyway. All right. They do that anyway. It's, uh, but it's an unusual situation. You know, they're not at home. It's been three months. That's a long time to be living in a hotel. And um, it's, uh, it's very, very sad. And, th- you know, they're just out of place. That, that's what it, they're out of place. You know, I get stressed just going away for an overnight. <laughs> so I can imagine how horrible it would be to be removed from your home and living in some foreign place, especially as a child. You know, children are strong, it's true, they're resilient, but um, it's, it's, not, it's not good, it's not great. It's, it's been hard here. And those families who've first of all gone through that horror three months ago, it's still so fresh in their mind, it's so fresh. And it's just still going on because we're at war and they can't go home and they can't resume a normal life yet. It's very, uh, it's very hard. And my life is a lot um, less stressful than theirs. Uh, I, I have a son in the army, it's true, and another boy now who will be doing uh, surveillance um, security here. But I don't have, you know, missiles flying over my head. I didn't have to leave my home. And... Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very sad to see. So I think I'm going to wrap it up now. And if any of you do want to get in touch with me and touch with me about coming to visit you in your community, please do. Natalie at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com is how you can best reach me. And um, I will try to get a show done before I fly. So everyone have a good week. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs>